Amen. Amen. Jesus, the victory is yours. And now we can rest in our great salvation that you have accomplished. You are the goal. Satisfaction in you, in your presence. Resting. Keep us faithful, God, so that we may enter your rest. We're weary, we're burdened. Jesus, you say, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus, help us to rest. To rest from reaching. And now as we turn to your word, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, teach us, convict us. Open our eyes, open our hearts. Give Pastor Rick a boldness to speak as he ought. Give us ears to hear. Hearts to hear, eyes to see, and hands to do what your word is asking us, is commanding us. So Jesus, we pray all of this in your matchless, powerful name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. Good morning, good morning. I am so glad you're here today. So glad that you chose to come into worship. So glad that you sought necessary for you to lift up your voice, to be able to praise, to be able to hear, and to be able to be encouraged, perhaps convicted. That's why we meet. Today, we're going to continue our focus on the Sermon on the Mount. I'd like to just review just a little bit. These folks that Jesus was talking to, they were waiting, waiting for centuries for the coming Messiah, 
the long-awaited the Messiah, the, the person who would come that would rescue Israel, that would bring great peace and prosperity. At least that was their understanding. Jesus came to this planet and began to talk about the kingdom. He revealed to all that he was the Messiah, the Savior. He began this specific sermon by focusing on normal. But normal was different. He he was completely describing a new way of living, of thinking, of being. It was a life where citizens submitted completely to the king. Jesus was describing a beautiful new world, a place where God's kids walk with their father, resulting in families that love, honor, and respect others. Jesus described kingdom patriots as people who are poor, poor in spirit, those who are desperate and recognizing their need for God in every area. He started to share that God blesses those who mourn, who see sin the way I see sin, he says. God said, blessed are those who are are meek or humble. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger after righteousness. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those whose hearts are pure. Blessed are those who work for peace, are peacemakers. And then blessed are those who literally suffer because you're following Jesus. You're listening to the king. Oh, wow. These are the people. These are the kingdom patriots who walk with God and make an impact and make a difference in their world. In fact, they leave a wake in our bland, dark world. What you may not realize is that Jesus is literally describing the church. Now, if you're a little sarcastic... You might say, whoa, (laughs) I'm not sure I've ever been in a church. I'm not sure about this church. This doesn't sound like everybody here. And to be honest, I wish I could change the reputation of the church, especially as a pastor, as I introduce myself or as I get to know people. People will freely share with me their opinions of the church. But I do wish we had a different view of the church. We all, I think, have been hurt by believers, perhaps even been part of a church split. But this always happens because someone isn't walking with God. So I'm going to ask you a favor. I'm going to ask you to tuck those hurts away for just a little bit. What I would like to do is be able to describe to you some amazing benefits of the church. 
You see, the church is Christ's body, and it is God's plan. It's a community where people are unified, and they reflect God well. The church can be quite a force. And as I look back in my life, it was an amazing force. I look back in the church, the people of the church, the body of Christ, they were there for me during the good, the bad, and the ugly times of my life. They were there supporting me when I was baptized, during my wedding, during the birth of our kids. They were critical pieces of that puzzle. They surrounded me as I grieved, as I grieved loved ones and friends who had passed on, some spending their eternity with God and others not. The church was the one that supported me in crisis and walked with me and walked with us. They provided strength and perspective. And I went often to leaders and godly people and asked for wisdom. It was the church that trained me and molded me and allowed me to use my gifts. It was the church that disciplined me and supported me and walked with me through healing. They were family. They are family. And as I look back, at least what I can remember, 60 years or so, those, some of those relationships are still there. I still have contact with some of them. And I got to say, my life would be so different without the church. And that's why I think Jesus, right after he speaks about the Beatitudes, right after he shares a little bit about what the kingdom actually looks like, where groups of people are listening to God, he says this, the church or you are salt and light. Before we open up the scripture in Matthew chapter 5, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful again to come boldly into your presence. I thank you, God, that we can, well, respect you as king of kings, fear you, but also talk to you as our dad, as our father. God, we are so grateful that we can gather here together. And yet we gather here at all different places. Some are experiencing great joy right now. Some are really hurting. We pray, Father, especially, Father, for those who are discouraged, for those who are struggling, for those who are wondering about their marriages and about their jobs. I pray, Father, for the Jablonski family. I pray for Mike in particular as he lost his mom this week. We continue to pray for the Rahalics, Lord, as, as Sandy deals again with the loss of her dear husband. We know, God, that each one of us needs you and needs your arms around us. And we pray, Father, that your words would bring comfort and encouragement.
Father, we pray for the churches in our area, all the churches that proclaim your word, your gospel, where people are gathering together and worshiping you. I think of a few, Father, of our brothers and sisters. I pray for Redemption Church in Belvedere. So grateful for their church plant and who they're reaching. We also pray, Father, for Redemption Bible in Mount Prospect. And we pray for new hope. God, we are grateful again for all the different churches who are listening to you and following you. We pray for their strength and that they would be salt and light. Father, I pray for those teachers who are downstairs, those leaders who are downstairs, who are working with our kids, and for all the ministries that happened this week where your word is being given out. I pray for all those who are delivering meals in the name of Jesus. I pray for all those, Lord, who are writing notes to encourage. I pray for all those, Lord, who are listening to you that you would give them energy and that they would make an impact wherever they go. God, I pray for me, even as I share this message, that you would use your words and that we would be convicted and encouraged and strengthened and empowered. Father, I just am grateful for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to start reading at verse 13. Matthew 5, starting at verse 13. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It, Jesus starts off, and again, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the land. Salt at this time was primarily used for two reasons. It was to flavor and it was to preserve. There wasn't refrigeration. And, and so often salt was used, especially in meats, to keep it from getting rotten. Salt was valuable. You may have even heard the expression, well, he's worth his salt. You go like, whoa, what is that about? That basically was used especially of Roman soldiers. When Roman soldiers were often paid, they were paid in salt. And so being worth your salt was being worth, I guess, hiring you. But Jesus did not say, and listen to this, you are one of the salts or you are one of the spices or you're, no, what Jesus said is this, you are the salt. I think if we take the big picture here, it's without disciples, our world would be blander and more rotten. 
Then Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Light brings comfort and warmth and guidance. It alleviates fear and exposes the darkness. Again, Jesus did not say, you are one of the lights. He said, you are the light of the world. He did not say you're the sun, but basically we're the moons that are reflecting the light of the sun. Again, if I could put it boldly, without disciples, without the church, without obedient Christians, the world would be darker, more anxious, without hope. Now, salt and light are metaphors of impact. Jesus is talking about a kingdom patriot's influence and their impact. A little salt makes a big difference in the world. We are to infiltrate the earth with the seasoning of kindness and godliness and fairness and holiness and justice and righteousness and compassion and love. A little light makes a big impact in a dark place. Believers have an opportunity to bring comfort and encouragement and wisdom. If we look at salt, mostly it's hidden. You don't see it. But light is obvious. Salt works secretly. While light is visible. Salt is a indirect influence of a changed life while light are acts of love and kindness. Salt and light both make an impact because they're involved in our bland and dark world. You see, God did not redeem us and call us into the kingdom to hide us. He did not save us to be silent saints. In fact, he went further on in this scripture and said, salt that has lost its flavor and light that is hidden is useless. It's useless. It's kind of harsh. Now, technically, salt can't stop being salt, but it can be diluted. And a hidden light is no light at all. You see, compromise is a deadly cancer to our witness. When we are seduced by materialism and political expediency and irresponsible rhetoric and moral laxity and foolish actions, the attractiveness and beauty of the Christian life is lost. However, people will inevitably take notice if we maintain our commitments and convictions to Christ with grace and humility. They will actually be drawn to us. Jesus then said, our good works are salt and light. Uh, Our good works, our actions in the community bring God honor Good works is an overflow of our obedience to the king. Good works means loving and serving others. 
It might be a, a good question to ask once you leave a room. Do they talk about how wonderful you are or how grateful they are that God sent you here? Who gets honored when we leave the room? We know God is honored when all of us as a church are caught up in God's mission. Our God-given mission is talked about often in this church. It's found in Matthew 22 and in Matthew 28. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he actually quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6, but he shares in Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 37, says, well, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. God's mission for us is to love God and to love others. In Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18, going through verse 20, Jesus at the very end, right before he ascended back up into glory, he said, I have been given authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And you can be sure of this, that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Our mission, love God. Loving God is obeying God. Loving God is serving God. Loving God is listening to God. And loving people. It's basically our up, in, and out. You see, loving God is spending time with God and listening to God. That is where we get our direction. That is where we get our inspiration. We will never be an effective kingdom patriot if we don't spend time with our God. Well, loving people is spending time with people. So you earn the right to share your story of God's grace and make disciples who make disciples. You see, step one of loving people is to share your life and your story. We call this evangelism. Now, many of us, again, freak out a little bit, or at least get a little concerned. Oh, okay, is this where the pastor tells us we have to go out and knock on doors? And this is not where the pastor tells you that. Realistically, the way that God sees this telling of good news is that you have met him. He has changed your life forever. And you are sharing who God is and what God did for you to a group of people who are drowning and needing rescue. 
Step one is loving people. We may not even understand how important this role is, but we have a role of being God's ambassadors. We are actually agents of redemption. We have the privilege to be able to share the news that will rescue people and transform their lives forever. Not everyone, no matter how badly the situation is, no matter how desperate they are in their drowning, want a Savior. We understand that. But let me share with you just a few verses. The, the things that will encourage you to help understand what our amazing role is, ambassador. I think most of you know what an ambassador is, but an ambassador is someone who represents a country or represents a monarch or represents a government. And that's who we have the opportunity. This is the, what we have the opportunity to do be ambassadors. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter writes this, But you, you believers, are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. Do you believe Peter is sharing that? This is amazing news. He said, as a result of being chosen, of being a royal priest, of being a holy nation, of being God's special possession, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Because of who you are, because of your relationship with God, you and I, can show others the goodness of God. In Romans chapter 7, verse 4, Paul writes this, So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who raised who was raised from the dead, as a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Paul says this, when Jesus Christ died, he gave you the power and authority not to, well, submit to sin anymore in your life. You do not have to allow sin to win. And as a result of that, as you walk with God, in this relationship, you are united with him, and as a result, wherever you go, you produce a harvest of good deeds. This is how God has wired us as we walk with him. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and starting in verse 18, he says this, and, and actually, this should blow your mind, this text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 18. And God has given us, who's us? 
all those who walk with him, all those who are sons and daughters of God, all those who are listening, the obedient Christians, those kingdom patriots. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. In other words, people are separated from God because of their sin, like we were at one time. And Paul says this, we have this task, we have this privilege, we have the honor to be able to reconcile people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them so they can have a relationship. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are God's ambassadors. There's the word. We get to represent God wherever we go. Wherever. Wherever you live. Wherever you work. Wherever you play. Wherever you drive. We are God's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Can you let that sink in? God says, you know my plan? My plan is to redeem you. You've responded. You understand what a changed life is all about. You're going to be my ambassador. You're going to be my spokesman. You are going to be the one that goes out and in this whole world. And you are going to make my appeal through you. We speak for Christ when we plead. Think of this. We think, I mean, we speak for Christ when we plead. Please come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so we could be made right with God through Christ. There is no better message. That is the gospel. That's what transforms lives. Please don't go down your own path. Please don't try to do your own thing. You are drowning. Jesus died. He rescued you. If you receive him, if you reach out to him, By faith, you can be part of his family. You will be transformed. Your life will be changed. If you look a little earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, around verse 11, Paul says this. This is the reason why we work so hard to persuade others. We want everybody to understand how wonderful this life is. We want everyone to be rescued. We realize that without Jesus, they will drown and spend the next million years without him. Oh. You know, Jesus tells an interesting story in Matthew 22. I'm sure so many of you remember this parable, but it's called the parable of the banquet. And I'm just going to share it with you just a little bit. But in Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 1, Jesus tells this story to help us understand a little bit about the kingdom. And he says, hey, there's a king. And he's going to have a great 
wedding feast. And so what he does is he sends out all of his servants and he, he invites all his friends and relatives and close. You know, it's tier one in a, in a wedding uh, kind of, um, you know, invitation. Uh, all of the best of the best. Hey, come to the wedding. No kidding, in the parable, no one responds. They say, excuse me, I'm busy. When Jesus, or, or the king gets really upset. And, and that's the part that hit me. He was so upset. He wants to give them an unbelievable experience. And they say, hey, I'm too busy. So he sends out a servant and says, bring everybody. Just keep asking, keep asking. And anyone who responds is going to enjoy this great feast. So the people who respond, they come in and they enjoy this great feast. But there's somebody that comes in that doesn't have wedding clothes. He, he heard the invitation. He came in, but he didn't really take it seriously. What's so interesting about this parable to me is that the king wanted more than anything for everybody that would, that would respond, enjoy this unbelievable banquet. And there were some that didn't respond and some that didn't take it seriously. And they missed out. It was this begging. It was this, hey, please come. The king has an amazing spread. This is going to be so cool. Now, I get it. Weddings aren't always the most exciting for everybody. And, and sometimes they don't serve the best food. But let's pretend this was a king and he had an unbelievable spread and just said, hey, come. Come, I want you to enjoy this. You know, around here, our intentional evangelism strategy is called Bells. Every couple years, we focus a series on this. But it comes from a book um, called Surprise the World by Michael Frost. And the reason that we have encouraged all of our folks to look at bells is because it shares five habits of highly missional people or five things that each one of us can do normally and naturally so that we might be able to share our story with others. Not to, again, say we are perfect, but to say, you know what? I was lost. I was drowning. Jesus saved me, and my life is different. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I want you to hear this story. I want you to have this life. And so in BELLS, what we try to do, it's an acronym, and it's bless, eat, learn, listen, and share. Let me just quickly say this. In other words, the idea is this, is that you intentionally bless three people a week for no reason. People who are inside the church and people who are outside the church. But you just randomly encourage them. Secondly, 
you plan meals together. Three people a week, somewhere. Those inside the church, those outside the church. Because the idea is this, is as you share a meal, you share your life, and you're able to tell and encourage others what's important to you. The first L is learning about Jesus. I want to encourage you each to get in the scriptures. And I encourage you to have a reading plan that includes the gospels every single day. That we might be able to look and read about Jesus, be able to see how Jesus interacted. Because we are becoming like Jesus, but we're also having Jesus as our model. How does he get the reputation of being a friend of sinners and publicans and prostitutes? Apparently, he must have hung out with them. Apparently, Jesus cared about lost people. The next L talks about listening to Jesus or to God. So not only do you spend time and you read and you learn, but you spend some time listening. God, what is it that you want me to do? God, what is it that you're teaching me about yourself? God, is there some sin in my life that I need to confess? God, let me listen to you. And then S, share your story. Share your story when you can. Whatever means, you can. And your story is simple. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was dead, and now I'm alive. My life has been transformed because of my relationship with Jesus, and I desperately want you to meet Jesus because it will change your life. It will change your life now, and it will change your life for the next million years. Do do you know that? How exciting, how cool. In other words, the whole idea is let's be involved with people so that we're living questionable lives in this bland and dark world. Questionable, not like bad, but questionable like saying, whoa, how come you react like this? How come you are positive when uh, the stock market just went there? How could you respond this way when you just lost your job? And it goes on and on and on. But why don't we have some of that? It's because we don't love people. We don't spend time with people. Step two of loving people is helping them follow Jesus so they can help others follow Jesus. So we want to encourage people to love God, spend time with them, with God. We want to encourage people to love others, spend time with them serving and loving and caring for them. And part of that is hopefully people will come to faith. And as they come to faith, we have an opportunity then to help them follow Jesus and grow in a way where they can do the same thing and help others follow Jesus. Basically, the way I'd like to put it is that we're mimicking Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He he went out. He shared the good news of the kingdom Some people responded. Some people followed him. And in some cases, he said, hey, I want you to come and live with me for three years, and I want to teach you 
what it means to follow God with all of your heart. You see, kingdom patriots will be salt and light and will change our world and the church's reputation. I'm not even sure if you understand when some of you pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. May your kingdom look May this world look more like your kingdom because I'm here, because I'm listening to you, because I'm salt and light. People will get a taste, a little bit of who Jesus is because there are kingdom patriots all over in Jewel, in Woodman's, in Myers. All over, no matter where you go. So, as I wrap up, in the church, folks can be useful or useless. Oh, useful if we are salt and light. Useless if salt has no flavor and we hide our light under a bushel. If you walk with God, if I walk with God, we will be salt and light. And here's the exciting thing is that this is God's plan. This is God's strategy. Those who love and follow King Jesus are the only real salt in this world and that is the only salt that these lost people will taste and the only authentic light they will ever see. Where there is decay, we need salt in our world. We can complain about it, how evil, how gross, or we can infiltrate. Where there's darkness, we need light. People can influence the world in tangible ways. You know, some of you may have seen this billboard. But I pass this billboard every time I come home from church on Rand Road. It's a little bit south of Wakanda, all right? And this billboard absolutely floored me. It it just did. As you can see, it's a billboard trying to encourage students to go to DePaul University. And if you can read it up there, and again, this is me going 55, taking a picture. So... We did not crash at the moment, all right? But here it is. The billboard says this, come here and do well. Leave here. Do good. 
Honestly, I'm going like, I want to go to this school. I, I just do. I want to go to this school. Now, does it all happen? No. I, well, maybe it does. I'm wrong. I, I'm judging. I don't know. Okay? But I know this. The idea is, hey, if you come here, it's a good thing. But when you leave here, you're going to do good wherever you go. In fact, down at the very bottom, at the very right, this is the campaign for DePaul. And I kind of liked it so much, maybe we should have that here. But it says this, here we do. Here we do. Isn't that just what Jesus said? You are salt and you are light. You are the influences in our world. You are here to do. You're not here to be more comfortable. You're not here to well, make sure that your life is easy. You're here to do. If you would, I'd like you all to kind of bow your heads at this moment. And I've been ending our times in this series with a time of reflection. A time where we would ask you to just ask, what is God teaching you? What did God tell you? What things do you need to change? What are the convictions? What are the encouragements? But let's be quiet for a moment. Let's respond to God. As Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Father, in some ways, we can picture you teaching the multitudes and you being surrounded by folks who are just absolutely amazed at your words. Honestly, Lord, most of us who have grown up in a church have had these words spoken often. We know we're salt. We know we're light. But God, you said that. 
because you've shared with us what your mission is. For us to influence the world, to be your hands and feet and mouth. Oh God, change us from the inside. We don't want to do things to please you or just to please you. We want to do things because our love for you. Wow. Gives us opportunity to share the joy and the blessings of walking with you today and forever. So God, do a work. Would we this week, this month, this year, gather a reputation of being salt and light? Would you give us opportunities, Lord, to share our story of redemption? And would you give us the encouragement to make disciples who make disciples. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.